Welcome back to Better Than I Found It, a podcast about all things college golf. You're listening to Mike McGraw, the men's golf coach at Baylor. Joining me today is former Baylor golfer and 2001 Big 12 individual champion, Worth Williams of Dallas, Texas. Worth talks about two very important mentors in his junior career, about winning both the Big 12 team and individual titles in 2001, and also about his outstanding Baylor teammates who made history. Worth no longer competes, but he talks about how he's been able to use golf to benefit him in the business world. Enjoy the listening. All right, everybody. Uh, join me in welcoming my good friend, Worth Williams, to the Better Than I Founded podcast. Worth, thanks for coming and joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, you know, uh, we, have, we have a lo- a very niche, if you will, uh, group of listeners on this podcast. It's not a large podcast and never was meant to be truly, but a lot of these people are Baylor people, Baylor supporters, Baylor alums, Baylor golfers. Um, and you obviously were that. You played golf here at Baylor. So uh, mm-hmm. this is going to be very interesting for a lot of people to kind of get your perspective. You don't play for a living, but you are a Baylor golfer. You played here and um, so thank you for doing that. I think you'll give a good perspective on that. It should, it should be an interesting chat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, let's start with something that's pretty amazing, uh, and that is Baylor Athletics. I mean, you go across the board, and Baylor Athletics can it doesn't take a backseat to anybody in the country right now. And I'm thinking about what Dave Aranda and the football team did this fall, our basketball teams, obviously, our volleyball team. You could go right down the list, had a lot of success really over the last 10 years, but specifically in the last couple, what do you, what do you think about that football team? Oh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, it kind of, kind of goes to show you that it doesn't take much to change a program. Um, you know, you look at the RG three coming in and do what he does. And now, now look where we're at. Yeah. I think it's pretty amazing when you think about Dave, Dave Aranda inherited a team in the middle of a pandemic that was struggling. Right. And, and uh, they had a rough year last year. And he basically turned it around with almost the same personnel. That's It's kind of amazing, yeah. actually. And, yeah. you know, with the except that little stumble against TCU, we'd have been in the playoffs, I believe. But it's just shocking how far they've come in a short time. And then if you think about Scott Drew, oh, my goodness. How about yeah. that basketball team? Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Do, do it's... you watch most of the games? <laughs> so... I get a lot of grief for this because whenever when we came down for the OU game that you invited us all down, um, yep, I can't remember when Jimmy got honored there at the uh, halftime or whatever it was there, and uh, we hadn't lost a game and we lost that game, so I, I put the uh, I put the jinx on myself. So now I just watch. I watch it on my phone. I just get the score updates. <laughs> You're afraid to jinx the team because that's right. If I turn it on and watch it, we'll we'll lose. I so do I know this. We did we did lose that night that you guys were there. We had the kind of a reunion of your 2001 team, and Jimmy came back, and um, yeah, we lost that night. That, that wouldn't. It yeah. was against OU. You you were, you didn't bring good luck for the team. I did not. That's all so, right. So from now from then on, I just I get updates on my phone. I watch a little bit of it, and then watch something else and flip it back on. I'll, I might watch five minutes of the game. 
Well, I'm, I'm excited. I've been excited for eight years to be at Baylor. I love this place, but I also know that it's a really exciting time just to be a Baylor sports fan. And yeah. I think everybody feels that way. And I'm glad you do as well. All right. Let's talk about Worth Williams, the golfer. So I actually met Worth you uh, when you were a young kid, you couldn't have been more than 11, maybe 12. Yeah. And I remember your family moved to Edmond from Texas, correct? Is that where correct. you, yeah. And um, I, I'm in my first hour of social studies class at Sequoia Middle School, getting ready to take role. And all of a sudden this little kid walks in, you were little at the time. Very. And you you uh you you remember we we lived we were in that portable building outside yep. and uh you you spent the first semester in mike mcgraw's seventh grade social studies class do you remember anything about that class um i remember the the push-up contest okay did i, I don't win? know if i learned anything about history but there was a push-up contest and i don't think anybody ever did it they, they couldn't do that push-up that i could do correct Gosh, I was young. I think I was 30. That was a good time for me. Yeah, that and and you could hit you in the stomach anytime and, and you'd always be flexed. Mm, that was right. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I, uh, I I always prided myself on trying to stay in shape. My golf game was no longer in shape at that point. So <laughs> I had to figure out something I could hang my hat on. But I yeah. do remember uh, thinking to myself, this kid's going to be a great player for Edmund some someday i mean we only had one high school at the time and we didn't know there would be another uh, two high schools added uh -huh. so i i thought you'd be playing for me at Edmond high school and uh you were little i mean you couldn't have weighed 100 pounds in the seventh grade there's no way no i didn't I, yeah i didn't think so but but you hit it really really nice played really well and then at semester y'all moved back to texas didn't you yes sir yeah were you just I, teasing me yeah I'll just give you a little intro <laughs> well, I do remember uh, being disappointed that you had left, but I also remember that uh, a year or so later on a spring break, I brought the Edmund Junior High golf team down to, to Rockwall, Texas, where you were living, and we kind of played little matches and played in a couple of spring break tournaments. Yeah. I remember that kind of being a, uh, a wild time for those kids. Yeah, it was it was very interesting. I, mean, I think we had kids sleeping on the pool table, under the pool table. Um, I remember lots of diet coke being drank. Absolutely, Brandon Wackerly broke his nose on that trip at the pool table. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. Yeah, somebody hit him with a pool cue, and uh, I, his nose has never been the same. <laughs> it's always been <laughs> crooked. Uh, but I do remember being a lot of fun. I also remember. Uh, your good friend and, and high school teammate, Edward Lohr, who played golf at Oklahoma State and played, I coached him there. Um, and his dad, Jay, kind of helped orchestrate everywhere we played. And we played at the shores and we played a couple of tournaments and uh, had dinners, different places, a lot of fun. I remember that. I think that was um, spring of 92, 92. Your guess is as good as mine. Well, it's not a guess because remember, I'm a historian. I remember. Oh, dates. that's right. Yeah, I remember dates. Give, give me a trivia question real quick. Let's see if I can get one right. Just pick, pick a, a major before 2000. Before 2000? Yep. Um, British Open in 79. First of all, they like to call it the Open Championship. The Open, my bad. Yeah, yeah. you're bad. And it was Chevy Ballesteros 
he made a birdie from a parking lot that year to win. Yep. So, so there I've never go. done it from the parking lot, but from the trash can, I've heard about that. <laughs> All right. So I do have, don't have to worry about dates. I've got those down. I'm pretty good at that. So, all right, you, so you basically grow up in your formative years as a junior golfer pretty much in Rockwall, Texas, playing the Shores Country Club, hanging out with Edward Lohr and Casey Cronin, Casey is that Cronin. right? Yep. Yeah, Casey who else Cronin. was on those teams? So you had Edward and Nick Lohr, Casey Cronin, John Babbage, uh, Robert Shelton moved in in high school from Greenville, just right down the road. Yeah. Uh, David Prince, Logan Lowry. I mean, we had... So we had, you, you travel with five and our top, I think our top eight, by the time Nick graduated, all had D1 scholarships. Wow. That, that guys that's didn't, unheard of. Didn't even play. The guys yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty unheard of. So um, there were a lot of people that had influence over your game and your golf teams developing into what they developed. I think you guys won a, a state championship in 1996. Yes, sir. And you won individually in 1997. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Rockwall has ever had that type of success since or before the little three or four year stretch you guys had. Correct. Yeah, I think um, uh, Jason Hill. Yep. He won. He won state his senior year, I believe, and then and went on to Baylor and won yeah. uh, Southwest Conference. Yeah, Jason won the SWC here at Baylor and played the PGA Tour. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a good. So Rockwall was good to Baylor. Hey, uh, so there were several people that were kind of instrumental in mentoring you young kids because you were really good at the time. You guys had a great team and a lot of synergy. And obviously, Jay Lohr was one of those. And he had two sons, Edward and, and Nick. But there was another man named Ben Parks. And you guys always called him Mr. Parks. And when I got to Oklahoma State, well, actually, I, I met him during that spring break that year. But mm -hmm. Um, he was one of the kindest men I've ever met. And from everything I've ever heard from everybody who ever ran into him, he was an absolute amazing mentor. Tell me about Ben Parks and his effect and influence on your golf. Well, I, I would say that uh, Jay, Jay Lohr and Mr. Parks were the, the guys that pretty much started that whole high school team. Um, we were just a bunch of kids running around at the, at the shores and, they taught us how to do everything properly. Uh, like you said, Mr. Parks, so everybody was, it was yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Um, lots, lots of manners enforced on us from uh, Mr. Parks there. Um, but I'd say he, he and Jay Lohr were the, were the two that were instrumental in all of us uh, getting to where we got with our games. I know that Jay was a, a good instructor and also a good sports psychologist, if you will, mm -hmm. and obviously motivated two young sons of his to, to play great. But what, what kind of influence did Mr. Parks have other than teaching about how to handle yourself, how to model yourself and be a, a good citizen, that type of thing? What, what was his influence on your actual golf? Um, I would say he was basically my coach um, until – Eighth grade, ninth grade, um, I started going to Brian Mahon, uh, Hank Haney guy, uh, but I still, I never quit going to Mr. Parks with questions. Um, and he would always bring everything back to fundamentals. And that was, that was his key was make sure you got your fundamentals right. 
and everything falls in place from there. You know, when I was, uh, obviously I met him during that spring break when, you know, I found out he was a mentor for you guys, but when I would recruit for Oklahoma State as an assistant and then as a head coach, uh, every time I went to Dallas or anywhere in Texas, Mr. Parks was there and he was around and following junior players, his kids he was working with, and he just had such a wide reach, it seemed to me, and and yet he was a very personal guy that you could you could tell people really respected what he did and how he did mm -hmm. it. And he's no longer with us, but I do know that his legacy lives on. Yeah, there was uh, plenty. He had a, a picnic table in his front yard underneath the, underneath the tree. And that was, we did lots of lessons there without golf clubs. You know, wow. Sit, sit there at the table and talk, talk about life and, and what's going on. You don't see as much of that anymore. A, a lot of people, it's always about the track man in the video and, and, uh, you know, you can teach other things that help a guy develop into a, a good player for sure. Yeah, I remember he had – he never – I never had a lesson with him where he used a video camera. At one point he had – he had gotten a camera that would take a sequence of pictures. Mm -hmm. This was one click of the button. I think it took like six or eight frames. It's called a graph check camera. They, they were big in the 80s and 90s. That was the only the only piece of technology I ever saw him use, and I think he used it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, now I realize today to teach you you need some technology, and kids are expected, and and there actually is some valuable applications through the technology. But today's instructors could use a little bit of what Ben had too. You know, Mr. Parks yeah. had a lot of things figured out. Yeah, we did. There's. I think there's a lot more to to this game than what what everybody's doing now with with statistics and and numbers and like you said the the technology there's a lot a lot to do with just you know dig it out of the dirt right absolutely yeah um, so let's talk about you you go through high school T tell me about you guys won a state championship your junior year correct was Mansfield runner up to you guys. Uh, I believe so. We were, we were 5A or 4A that year and then went, then went 5A my senior year. Okay. So I think it was Mansfield. And then when we went 5A, um, I believe it was Churchill. Okay. San Antonio Churchill. Well, you guys had a great team both years for sure. It was a team yeah. that was kind of destined to challenge for state championships anyway. Uh, tell me about your your individual title there when you won, where was it played that year in 97? Uh, was it uh, Roy Kaiser? Okay. Then there, I'm trying to think there's, there's two courses there. We played it at Roy Kaiser that year. Do you remember what you shot? Um, I shot uh, 70, 37. Okay. Only a 27 hole event at the time. Yeah. We got, we got rained out the second round. Well, state champ, you still have the medal, still have the trophy? Still still got a medal. Uh, a couple medals somewhere. My, my parents were nice enough to bring me a box out of the attic when we moved back to Dallas. And uh, it was a lot, of, a lot of medals and stuff that they didn't care to have in their attic anymore. So Absolutely, yeah. You, newspaper clippings and, and all that good stuff. Eventually, you have those don't pay bills, do they? You've got to, no. <laughs> you've got to move on. Yeah. Well, 
so you're obviously one of the better players in Texas and um, you get recruited. Did you get recruited by more than just Baylor? Yes, sir. Who else? Who else are you considering? So I went on trips to A&M and Tulsa. Okay. And Those are the three trips I took. Um, Tulsa, so, I'm trying to think. Who, who was the head coach at Tulsa then? It was Bill Brogdon. Uh, Brogdon, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and obviously uh, Texas A&M was prior to J.T. Higgins. It was uh, Bob Ellis. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Ellis coached there forever. Um, in fact, I think Bob is still teaching. I think he's still teaching in College Station. I think okay. he still does. Yeah, I think he still does some teaching. But uh, so Tim Hobby got you to Baylor. How did he get you to here? How did he get you to Waco? So I actually, I can't remember where I was. I was out of town somewhere. And he actually came to the, for a home visit with my parents. And they had a long meeting. And then, um, then I took my trip down there. And it was uh, myself, Jimmy Walker, and Brandon Sanders went there for our trip together for that weekend. That was a good trip. He signed all three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we uh, we had we had a good weekend, and, and we kind of all talked to talked to each other about it. And we'd all been talking to different schools, and decided why don't we all three go here? I I can't remember what we were ranked. Was like it was outside the top hundred. Mm-hmm. Baylor golf was. And I said, yeah, we could all three come here and start playing as freshmen and turn this around. So that that was the uh, the goal. Well, it happened. Must come in and and uh, we pulled it off somehow. Well, you know, Tim Hobby was obviously a good player. Heck, he was a great basketball player too. Yeah. But he won the U.S. Public Links. Was an All American here at Baylor, uh, and then became the coach in 1996. He was literally the first full-time coach. Always before the coach before Tim was always usually the the uh, Ridgewood Country Club head pro or maybe Ridgewood yeah. Country Club assistant pro. And so Baylor finally got serious about golf, and they hired an alum who was a nationally competitive player. Was was Tim still playing golf? Uh, I know he's played some section events and that type of thing, but was he playing with you guys some? Oh yeah, yeah, we had. We had weekly matches with coach and it, he didn't, he didn't throw off and let us win and build any confidence. That's for sure. Well, good thing he, he didn't wanted, do that. He wanted to beat us. Yeah. Could, could you beat him occasionally? Um, he got me. He had my number. He did, huh? Well, you yeah. know, that's funny. You should say that Mike Holder at Oklahoma state, his coach, Laban Harris would every day he would put up a brand new Titleist golf ball. I mean, a brand in those days, that was gold to player. And all you, that was a dollar and a quarter. And uh, worth of a golf ball, and all you had to do was put up a quarter as a player on the team. And now, nowadays, you probably couldn't do this because of the gambling or whatever. Yeah. So if you beat Mr. Harris, you got a golf ball and you got to keep your quarter. If you didn't beat him, you had to give him your quarter. And Mike Holder was a senior in in college and already a two time All American before he beat Labron Harris. So Labron was a really good player. Yeah. So Tim was a great player too. And I think that's probably what was great about hiring him was because he was a Baylor alum for one. He'd played on the golf team. He had been a national champion. He had done, been an all American. He had done a lot of things and he was still competitive. And I think, I think that's one thing I encourage a lot of young coaches to do is to keep playing. If you're still competitive, try to play in one event a year, just something you would practice for and work toward. Um, 
that's something I miss. I got away from playing the game. Basically, by the time I'd met you, I'd already decided I'm probably not going to play in the U.S. Open qualifying anymore. I'm probably pretty mm-hmm. much done. So I haven't played competitive golf in forever. I think it's one thing I'm missing. I would love to have just the threat of entering a tournament. Because, yeah. you know, you don't play anymore competitively, do you? No. Sir. Well, no, not competitively. I mean, I play in, like, industry four-man scrambles and – okay two-man low ball thing like that but yeah there, there's nothing competitive about it they're handicapped and flighted so yeah no okay but you know that's <laughs> that's one thing tim had is he, he was a competitive golfer you, you got to see how and he tried to beat you guys so talk to me about this because as your career went on you guys had some success we're going to talk about a really successful time at the big 12 championship in a bit but what are some of the things tim taught you over the four years i mean there's got to be something that they got out of that. I love hearing what players got from their college coach. So I, there's a few things. Um, punctuality was big mm-hmm. with him. You know, the, if you're not five minutes early or late, um, preparedness, he always wanted you to be as prepared as you could be uh, for the event or even, you know, just a, a, a rounded, around during the week, uh, during practice, be prepared for that. Uh, don't just go out there without, without anything, you know, be, be working towards something. Um, another good one was, uh, learn how to make a good bogey. So he was, you know, you might, instead of hitting the hero shot and making a par, you don't pull it off and you make double or triple, you know, that's, it's just mental, mental mistakes. He wanted you to really think your way around um, and play smart. Um, and, and I would say growing up, growing up small, I always had to hit the, hit the right to left draw. So uh, he, was, he was not a proponent of the draw. He wanted it to go the other way. <laughs> so I, uh, I learned how to hit a fade, that's for sure. Well, you still hit the ball straight, so it didn't hurt you there. I remember you hitting the ball very straight. So punctuality, I've lived my whole career believing that because I missed my tee time at the state junior in 1972. I haven't been late for anything since. Yeah. So if you play golf for me, just like Tim, you're going to be early for meetings. Yeah. But preparedness is an underrated thing. And you mentioned not just prepared for the tournament, but prepared for practice. And I think that's the most undervalued thing is like I get to practice today. I want to be as prepared as I possibly can for it because it's an opportunity to get better. Sounds a little corny, sounds a little pie in the sky and okay. But the truth is, if you've got a practice day ahead, it should be mapped out and prepared. You got to be ready for it. Yeah. And then he just, you said good bogey. I haven't heard it quite like that, but I love it. Uh, If you're out of position, get back in position. You might make the par, but at least you'll make a bogey and you haven't lost any momentum. That double, that triple, yeah, that that yeah. ends rounds. So yeah, that's probably why he was such a good player. He he understood that concept. Yes, sir. You didn't hit it as far as Tim Hobby, I'm assuming. No, yeah. not then. I, I think I can get him now. Well, he's he's got, like got me. A little more he's technology, and he's a little older. <laughs> and yeah, I got forty he, more pounds behind me too. Yeah, that's true. You're not a 125 pound kid anymore. Um, so let's talk about your teammates at Baylor. That was a very special time at Baylor. The, the, the program had been building. He had been creating a program, not from scratch, because Gene Shields left it in pretty good shape, but it still wasn't where it should be. And 
by the time you were a senior, you guys won the Big 12 championship at Prairie Dunes. But talk to me about some of these teammates, like Jimmy Walker. That that's yeah. a pretty, and he's gone on to greater things. But Jimmy must have been a really good teammate. Yeah, no, Jimmy was always there to. He definitely was there to drive us. Um, like I said the, the three of us that went there um, together, Jimmy, Brandon, and myself. That was definitely a grind every day. I mean, we we wanted to beat each other and and be be the best freshman there. Um, and then, you know, we have Mike Chisholm there that had transferred in from Texas. He was, he was a very good player. Um, great leader. Um, Aaron Pellegrim, he was a year older, um, from George Snellville, Georgia. And, uh, he was, he was, uh, he could hit it a mile. He was very good. Um, then Troy Caesar transferred in with us. Uh, he was a year, he was Aaron's age. And, um, see, I think we had Jeff Hughes transfer in my soft sophomore year. So we had, we had a lot of talent and, um, a lot of talent from Texas. Yeah. I noticed that about, um, the team that he inherited and then created, uh, was a highly Texas team. Mm -hmm. And the team I inherited was a very international team, which they were great kids and they graduated and they did all the right things. But I kind of decided to go a little bit back toward the Texas. And so for five years in a row, we've had all five kids in the lineup at postseason. So in conference regionals or nationals in the postseason, all five kids for five straight years have been from Texas. Yeah. Um, probably won't last that way forever because I mean, eventually you can't get everybody you want in the state. There's so many good teams playing for them, but right. I always appreciated that. And Greg Priest, before me, inherited the program from Tim, and he continued that Texas tradition for many, many years and yeah. had great Texas players, Ryan Bacha, uh, Jeremy Alcorn, uh, uh, Jeremy Fry. I mean, he had some really good Texas players. So I, I think Texas is a hotbed. Always believe that. And the fact that you won a state championship in the state of Texas, you had something going for you. Come on, something. There, there's a little something. I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of determination, a lot of heart. Um, but the the team I grew up with, it was, you know, I was a, I was the smallest guy. I was the shortest hitter, so there was a I had to I had to do something. Um, so it just just being competitive and wanting to win, really. Um, try to get get recognition somehow. Yeah, this summer we had a golf camp, and I can't say his name because he's a prospect, but a young boy was very small. He was smaller, basically, than you were at that age. Mm -hmm. And I went up and asked him the question. I said, and, and the reason I'm giving you this story is because it reminded me of you, is I said to him, I said, you know, you're never going to be as long as these other players. You're never going to overpower a golf course. You're going to be playing from a further, you know, proximity to hole is going to be a lot further back than these other players that you're competing against. How do you overcome that? And he, he looked at me, says, well, coach, I can't do anything about that. All I can do is maximize me. There you go. And, and I'd never heard that before. And I'm going to use it the rest of my career. And once he's in college, I'll be able to say his name. But yeah. the, the truth is, that's what you did. You maximized everything God gave you uh, to get to that level. Because, quite frankly, a kid your size probably wasn't going to play a Power Five Conference Division One team. Right. 
but you got it done because you maximized everything God gave you, which was mm-hmm. pretty impressive. I think you did a good job of using your resources too. I think Jay Lohr was a great instructor, a great motivator, uh, a great mentor in golf. And Mr. Parks was the same. And so you kind of use those guys around you. And then Tim Hobby is a, as a college coach. Uh, so in something or another, you gleaned information from all those guys. Yeah. You got, you hear it all day long, you know, surround yourself with good people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot to that, no matter if it's golf business, whatever you're doing, I think you need to do that. Well, I've always made it a habit to try to do that too. get good people around me because, and, and honestly, my assistant coach, I want to hire, if, if you're a head coach and you're thinking about hiring an assistant coach, you better try to hire somebody better than you are or hire somebody that's smarter than you are, hire somebody that's more creative than you are, hire somebody that works equally as hard as you do or harder. Uh, just why wouldn't you? That person's only going to enhance what you're doing as a head coach. Right. Before we move on from recruiting, though, and basically those influences you had, Edward Lore told me, he said, I'm not sure why Worth ended up going to Baylor, but we used to go from Dallas to Austin and Dallas to San Antonio down I-35. Yeah. And he said almost always our high school coach would stop at the High Miller Steakhouse, and and he must have liked that, and that's why he went to Baylor. Any proof <laughs> of that? Um, I mean, it must have been subconscious, uh, but – we did. Coach Anderson used to. We'd have to stop there every time. It's Hype Miller Steakhouse to get uh, something about ranch dressing, I guess, for him. Because you get ranch dressing with your salad, and he just poured all over his crackers and his salad, and that we had to stop. You could have eaten at McDonald's five minutes before that. We were stopping at Hype Miller. Well, Edward felt like that was a a standard for for your team, and it definitely was. When I was at Alabama working for Jay Sewell that one year, um, he had a tradition. They'd always stop at the Waffle House on the way to Birmingham every mm-hmm. single time. <laughs> always stopped at the Waffle House. So I, uh, I kind of understand we coaches are creatures of habit. Yeah. So you get to Baylor. You're developing your game. You know the team is developing. You came in with uh, Jimmy Walker and Brandon Sanders. And as I look in, outside my office here at Baylor, there's a – photo of your 2001 big 12 championship team and all three of you are in that photo so it's obvious you guys started something when you came in as freshmen and you finished it there at prairie dunes let's talk about that 2001 big 12 championship yeah it was um i'm trying to think i think it was my third it was the third time i played conference um and it was kind of like high school state. I mean, the first time I went there wasn't wasn't a very good showing. And every year, every year I just jumped up and played better and played better, got better, um, improved my position, and, and ended up winning it. Uh, by the time I was was done, but um, it seemed like Prairie Dunes presents itself different every time you go see it. So you can't really expect it, you know. It's not like going to play in your home, your home course every day. You know what you're going to get. Prairie Dunes is, it's a different monster. It is. And anybody that knows me very well knows that I oogle and, and Google. And I'm just so excited every time somebody mentions Prairie Dunes because 
I honestly think it's the greatest set of green complexes in the United States, the most challenging, the most interesting. Um, and if, if it's calm, you could, you could shoot a low number at Prairie Dunes. Yeah. It's calm, dead calm. If it starts to blow and it gets above 15, now you're starting to get a little nervous. It gets above 20 and you are hold on for dear life. Yeah. And that's what happened in 2001. Yeah, it was, it was humming. That's for sure. Um, I remember we played the first round and then we got what 10 or 15 minutes for lunch break. That's and right. Then back, then back out again. I don't, I don't know if the kids these days understand how that works. Cause I think it's what three days now. Well, it is, but we do actually play the 36 holes the first day and then 18, 18, okay. 72. Okay. All right. I, I knew it was had been changed up a little bit. Um, so we took our break, and I remember sitting there and talking with Jimmy and Brand. I said, you guys, you're going to have to step it up this next round because I've been hitting so many knockdown shots. I said, I can feel my swings falling apart. <laughs> I said, I don't know if I can keep it together much more. And then I ended up shooting the same same score the second round, but it was just – it was blowing so bad. It was just do whatever you could do to keep it down and somewhat straight. Well, you know, at Prairie Dunes, the fairways are reasonably wide. But once yeah. you get out of the fairway and your ball lands outside the fairways, a chance it's going to land in those sand dunes, Yeah, you're, you're not finding it. No. And with the wind blowing left to right or right to left, it's more than likely you're going to miss some fairways you wouldn't miss normally if it was dead calm. And I'm, I'm looking at these scores of people that finished in the top 10, okay, at the conference championship that year. These are first-round scores. Kelsey Klein, 77. Now, you had a 72, but Kelsey Klein, 77. Par Nilsson, 75. Jimmy Walker, 80. Brandon Sanders, 78. Stephen Reed from Texas A&M, 75. Kane Weber from Colorado, 80. Martin Flores, who's playing the PGA Tour, from OU, 80. Uh, John Kidwell from OU, 76. Jason Hartwick, a four-time All-American at Texas, 80, yeah. first round. John Clouck, an All-American at Texas, 87 the first round. He ended up in the top 10 that week. And then J.C. DeLeon from Oklahoma State, 77. There's no good scores in there. Your 72 was by far the lowest. Yeah. And, gosh, above, among that group, it was by the lowest by four shots. Uh, that's too over par. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine how hard that golf course played that day? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely different than it was the year before. Yeah. I think, uh, Charles made the greenskeeper mad, so the the pins were not not very fun, especially like you said when on those type of greens and the wind blowing over twenty, it's yeah three footers were tough. Well, I remember the year before when Charles won. Charles Howell, who we're speaking of here, won by ten. He uh, he shot sixty eight the final round. It was blowing about thirty five. The first two rounds it was dead calm, and he shot yeah. a couple of sixty sixes or something. Um, but the following year, there were no scores in the 60s. I think 71 was the low score, or maybe a 70 by Kelsey Klein the final round. But yeah. you won by eight, shooting five over par for three rounds. Mm -hmm. And as I recall, I just remember you hitting the ball just kind of right out in front of you all the time. You tried to keep it as low as you could, so you flighted your golf ball well. But you just kept it in front of you. And yeah. you didn't visit the, the sand dunes. And next thing you know, you were – you probably kept it below the hole because if you got above those holes, you know. Yeah. And I mean, 72, 72, 71, all three rounds over par, five over for the tournament, you win by eight.
That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I can remember, as, I think it was two years ago, talking about the weather here, the wind. I was in my in my uh, attic looking through old clubs and stuff, and I pulled out a club that I, that I used that week, and it was a Titleist one iron. Mm. <laughs> the year before, I carried a five wood out there because the the weather wasn't bad, but the rough was bad. And th and this year, I, I had a one iron. I said, you know what? I'm going to play that one iron because it's humming, and I need to keep it down and running. So I tried to hit it two years ago, and it wasn't the same. Well, the uh, it's back in the attic. Oh, I would think so. That ball, that club <laughs> should be in a museum. <laughs> Nobody hits a one iron anymore. No. That's Crazy. I remember a one iron being a very valuable club because for one, the golf ball spun a lot more in those days. You know, the a lot of balls yeah. were wound construction. You know, it's it's like you 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 kind of had to figure out a way to hit it on the ground. And that year, Prairie Dunes was playing so firm and so fast that uh you couldn't help, but you had to keep it down low. Yeah. I'm gonna say this too. I was the assistant coach at Oklahoma State when you won, and we finished fifth, which was the lowest finish for Oklahoma State in history at a conference championship. Uh, can you imagine the ride home in that van with Mike Holder when we finished fifth and Baylor won the championship? We finished behind Baylor, Oklahoma, Texas, Colorado, and then Oklahoma State. I still kind of remember that drive back. Wasn't very much fun. I was going to say, uh, I can uh, only imagine it was probably pretty quiet from uh, the driver's seat back. Yeah, you didn't say a word, and if you <laughs> you just didn't, it was smart not to say anything at all. And but I, I do remember thinking to myself, and I went over and, and congratulated Tim right before we left because it was like that's an amazing accomplishment. At the time, Baylor had only won a couple of conference championships, and way way back, you know, a long yeah. time before, um, and that kind of gave you guys a little momentum thinking maybe we can do something with the postseason. And the the uh, regional tournament was going to be played at Karsten Creek. Yep. Was that your first time to play Karsten Creek? That was my first. All right, let me tell you something. So the 21 days, so three weeks leading up to that first, the practice round, those 21 days, it rained 18 of those days. 18. So – when we knew we were going to have a break in the weather, the maintenance supervisor, we sent him out and he mowed as much as he possibly could just so he would knock the tops off the seed heads of that zoysia grass mm -hmm. and try to get the greens, you know, at a reasonable speed. But as it turned out, it was raining during the tournament too. We had to play the ball up because, yeah. and fortunately with that zoysia grass, you could put it up on top and kind of pick it off the top. Otherwise you would, the course would have been unplayable. Yeah. Um, I just remember that was a, a pretty rough, go um not not an easy championship to play no that was um i remember i get my highlight was i eagled number 18 the last day last round and uh that was the positive i took from the week so your, your last shot you ever hit at baylor was you made an eagle on the last hole you ever played yeah well heck of a way to it, go out yeah we don't need to talk about what i shot but I made eagle on the last hole, and I remember Kelsey Klein came up to me, and uh, he said, "Hey, I know I know we're done for the year, but anytime you want to come back up here and play, don't worry about it. We can we can get on and play." I said, "I don't care. I'm never coming back to this golf. <laughs> this place Have you ever been back? 
So I never went back until this year. Um, one of my coworkers that's in Oklahoma City um, called me, and we took some customers up there to play. Uh, I didn't I didn't eagle eighteen, but I did birdie it. Okay. And last two times you've played eighteen, you're three under. I'm three under. The the other seventeen holes got me. Uh, yeah, you know. But I, I took a picture. Me. I took a picture pulling up to the gate that Friday morning at like oh seven thirty, and I remember sending it out to Jimmy and Brandon and Troy and all those guys. I said, "Is this how you really want to start your weekend?" <laughs> and I did not get many positive comments. <laughs> yeah, that golf course has a way of humbling people. Um, yeah, I know Mike Holder built it for that reason uh, to challenge players, and it has done that through the years. But yeah. I will say this, if you're not playing and you're just walking the golf course, it's one of the most serene, beautiful places yeah. in the world. It's just gorgeous. It's amazing. It's I told the guys that we played with, I said, they'd never been there. Uh, the guys I played with were from Dallas. Um, and I had a guy from Oklahoma City there. But I said, you know, it's going to be crazy. We're going to play right in front of each other today. And we will not see each other until we get done. That's a fact. Yeah. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I said, yeah, the holes might be run parallel to each other, but you won't see each other. And if it goes in the trees, just leave it. We got plenty more balls. Well, I'm thinking if I ever need um, somebody to do something really great in the game, I'm just going to take you up there to that hole, number 18, yeah. and I think you'll be fine. I should be good on that one. Yeah, I would think so. Well, listen, um, so anything else you want to talk about relative to the 2001 season? I mean. You, you won the individual title. The team won the Big 12 team title. And, I mean, that's kind of legendary for you guys. I'm sure a great memory. Yeah, I think it was just, I mean, start to finish with the year. I mean, I think we all – we were all playing really well. Um, I had I had actually that summer uh, switched to a new coach uh, from Mr. Parks. He, he said, hey, you know, I'm getting older you need to find somebody new to work with. I think you need to go see this guy, Scott Young with golf tech. So Mr. Parks and I went up there and had, had a first lesson with him. And, and I worked with him that, that whole summer. And then through that year, I went back home uh, once or twice a month to work with Scott. And uh, it just, my game started clicking. And I kind of went to a different level with where I was at with playing and, and, and hitting shots and, uh, like I said, it started out – the year started out well and, and ended well with, with all of us playing, making so – we all had several top ten finishes, a couple top three finishes. Jimmy won a bunch. So it was – everybody was clicking. Well, we've got your your picture up several places in the facility. Uh, next time you come down, you'll need, you'll need to come by and see it. I've got one more question for you uh, that I, I, I love asking guests. Uh, but right now I'm going to say you're not playing professionally and you haven't. Um, yeah. But what is your profession today? What do you do now? So right now uh, I work in oil and gas business. Uh, I work for a service company called Genesis Fluids. So we I sell uh, drilling fluids to the operators here in the DFW area. How's it going? They is operate. That, what's that? Is it going pretty well right now or? It's getting better. Yes, sir. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a small uptick in rig count. Um, obviously the price of oil and natural gas are both coming up. Um, I think 
we'll uh, we'll continue to see that rise. So that that'll be good for us. So do you use golf in your? I mean, you said you had customers up at at Carson Creek. You must use golf a little bit to kind yes. of as a platform, a vehicle for you in your business. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's um, at least once a week. I try to get out with with customers. Um, some customers, you know, they have schedules where they they rotate um, Fridays on and off. Uh, with those guys, you know, there's there's several of us here in DFW that are decent golfers still. Um, we try to get those guys out, customers out, play with them. I mean, you've got five to six hours with a customer. You know, they're where typically you might have the most time you get in their office would be an hour. Um, you've got them out for five hours, um, you know, talking about family stuff and business and, and whatever you want. And especially now with, with COVID, there's only a handful of customers that are actually letting us come in and have face-to-face meetings. Gotcha. So right now it's either phone calls or text messages or zoom or some guys can do lunches and dinners. Um, but golf is definitely a big, a big part of, of my business. Well, that's great. And a lot of people uh, think, okay, well, if I play college golf, I've got to play professional golf. Well, I think you've made a lot more money in, in the business world than you would have as a professional golfer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I gave it a solid two years and said, that's enough. Yeah. I think it's time to go get a job. That's good. Yeah. It's not really a job when they don't pay you for your finishes. Right. Right. Yeah. When it costs you more to get into it than whenever you place, yeah, get paid out. That's not a good a good business model. Not a good business model. Well, listen, I've got one more question for you, and uh, before we ask that, just thanks again for coming on to the podcast. It's been great, just kind of reliving those memories and our time together before you ever got to Baylor. But I have one question for you. So you did play college golf, and you played it for a Power Five conference, you know, Division One Power Five conference team, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh, if you had some advice to give to a 14-year-old, so you got this little 14-year-old golfer in Rockwall or in Dallas, wherever, and he comes to you and says, "What's what advice do you have for me to help me get to, I want to play college golf too, and I want to play at a Division One level. What would be the piece of advice you think would be most valuable to him? Um, I guess I would have to say it'd probably be a two-parter. Okay. Um, first – you know, it's kind of like what, what my parents did with me was they didn't they didn't ever one time say go out and play, go out and practice. Just go out and do it on your own and have fun with it. Um, and then second would be wear it out from 50 yards in. Mm. That's like I said earlier, learn how to make a good buggy. If you're chipping out, you're gonna have to get it up and down. So I think you'll you'll serve yourself better in the long run working on that 50 yards in the end than sitting there on the driving range trying to figure out how to hit a driver 320 when you know you're only ever going to hit it 265. Well, that's pretty good advice. Actually, very good advice. Uh, my players need to listen to that. <laughs> I mean, I think, and I think any young player should listen to that. One, have fun. If you can't have fun at golf, what are we doing if you're not enjoying yeah. the game? And number two, and that's good advice for parents. Don't you know, don't force these kids to play, but let it be their choice. But number two, if you make a good bogey, which I had never heard it said that way, um, you make a good bogey. If you can give yourself an opportunity to get up and down, if you can wear it out between in, inside of 50 or 60 yards, you got a chance. So that's okay. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Ward, thank you so much for spending an hour with me today. I appreciate it. Uh, you need to come down for a ball game. I know you think she jinxed the teams, but you got to come out. And the last time you came to watch us, I think we won at Royal Oaks. Maybe we finished second. Maybe we did finish second. You came out and had lunch with us. Maybe you don't need to come to a golf tournament. Yeah, I, I do better just keeping up on the phone there. Okay. If I get some live updates, well, we should win if I get live updates. All right, well, we'll give you some live updates. And I, I appreciate it very much, and best of luck. Have a great year, and thanks again for it. Yes, sir, Coach. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.